Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. A little while back, while I was having a conversation with a few people I knew, one of the ladies in the group was asked how long it had been. Since she's been walking her life of faith, from what I remembered, she was born a Christian, so I was assuming her answer would be her entire life, so probably around twenty-something years. But the girl answered that she has only started her walk of faith around three years or so. So I asked, "Weren't you born as a Christian into a Christian family?" But she responded back and said, "Yes." It has only been about three years since I have started my walk of faith with Christ. Although I was born into a Christian family, my actual faithful life only started about three years ago. Hearing this, I felt a ringing inside of my head. The fact that I have been claiming I have been a Christian my entire life made me feel ashamed of myself during that moment, and the reason was because I felt I was no different from her. Although I have been born as a fourth-generation Christian, looking back up into middle school when I really met Christ, I have been living as a Christian without knowing who Jesus really was, without reading the Word, and just attending church as a habit, because it has always been a part of my life since I could ever remember. Before I truly met Christ, I had only been attending church only because it was Sunday. I didn't know what the love of cross meant, and simply thought I would be able to go to heaven if I lived a decent life, doing kind things. What would have happened if God continued to let me be this way? Just the thought of it frightens me. If God didn't use His ways of bringing sufferings and hardships into my life, I don't think I would have been able to realize all of this on my own and kneel down before God. I went through some very difficult times in my life. Which led me to experience in me God, although it was one of the most painful and hardest times of my life. I look back and think that might have been the only single way for God to call my stubborn self to Him. It wasn't easy to get by through those times, but because of it, I was able to change the direction of my life to God, grew closer to Him, and that was when my real life of faith began. But as we all know, those times of sufferings are hard to bear. It is incomprehensible and feels like God is nowhere to exist. But when those times pass, we realize how God was intimately with us every moment of the way. But why is it that we do not see this during that moment? Okay. 
in a book, but if you go to the rural towns of Korea, you see homes in the countryside where people farm and raise animals. Very often you will see homes with a couple of cows and other animals. But they say if a barn catches on fire, it is a struggle to make the cows escape out of the barn. They say that even if the barn is caught on fire, the cows do not budge to move no matter how hard you try to pull them. But it said in this book there was one way to get the cows out. And they say that it is if you flip their manger over. It may be perhaps because the cows might think that there is no longer any food for them in this place. Even for a cow, it is only when they realize they have no food left when they realize there is no more hope left for them. Then they come out of the barn. As I was reading this book, Reading about the stubborn cows that don't budge to move even though they might burn to death in the barn sadly reminded me of myself. We are like a cow in a barn. God provides countless ways for us to live, but there are more times in which we disobey to follow Him. Hebrews chapter 12 is a very famous passage that we all know. God tells us His motive for discipline in the scripture. The author of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. And He continues to tell us, for those who have been trained will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Here are the scriptures of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6-13. through 13. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there 
whom his father does not discipline. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is studying 1 John part 1 based on 1 John chapter 5. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1, he gives us the basic requirements for proving that you're a Christian, basically, verses 1 and 2. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So the first thing we have to do, and the thing that proves that we're a Christian, is believing in Jesus Christ. And he's talked about that quite a bit. And then he says, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. So the second thing that we do is that we practice love for each other. Here is the two requirements First of all, you believe in Jesus. Secondly, we love one another. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's interesting right here that he says that it's one thing to say that you love people, as we've talked about before. I don't want to say that for those of you who weren't here before. You say, what are you talking about? But he's saying, if you really say you love God, then you're going to love who God loves. And God loves his children. And you're going to show your love in, in loving one another. And, and at great length, John has talked about our loving one another, hasn't he? And so now he's saying, I want you to understand that as you believe in Jesus, you love one another, this is showing that you know God because the children of God are going to obey God's commands. And God's commands are that we believe in Jesus and love one another. Chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, those are the commandments that we have as Christians. Christianity isn't difficult. It's believe in Jesus and love one another. If I'm loving you, I'm not stealing from you. I'm not lying to you. I'm not coveting something that is yours. I'm not uh, taking someone away from you that is your husband or your wife, not committing adultery. I'm not being immoral, which would be a sin against you or somebody else. And so the scriptures is telling us that all of our basic faith is boiled down to these two things. We're believing in Jesus Christ as the only Savior of the world. There's no other Savior, no other way to heaven, and we love one another. These, these are the commands of God. Now, John is specific when he, he uses a different term for the Ten Commandments of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant commands of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. The word that he uses for the Ten Commandments throughout his writings, John, in his, in his letters, his epistles, and in his gospel, the Gospel of John, he uses the word namos. We get the word nomenclature. We get the word for legal law from namos. And it's speaking of the Ten Commandment law, the Old Covenant. But whenever he's talking about the teachings of Christ, he uses the word entole, E-N-T-O-L-E. And that word is a word that is used here. It means commands. It, it rather could be uh, better probably translated teachings, the teachings of Jesus. And those teachings are that we believe in him and love one another. Verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now, this is kind of cool because he says, now, this is the result of being a believer in Jesus. Being an authentic believer, you have now the result that you are a conqueror, an overcomer. The word is nikeo in Greek, which uh, we get our Nikes. I don't have Nikes on, but it, it means to, to be the victor or victory. And so he says, this is, this is what is born of God, the, the one who's born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our what? Our faith. Our faith all by itself? No, because faith all by itself could be in anything. But this is our faith where? Our faith in Jesus. See, faith isn't a force. Otherwise, really, you could have faith in anything. Faith, faith is how we grasp on, we, we, we hang on to Jesus, and the virtue of Christian faith is its object, Jesus Christ. That's what makes our faith great, Jesus Christ. And, and you might have just a little right now, okay, all you have is this little thin, little thin copper wire attached to Jesus. 
That's okay, you're connected. It's not how big your conduit is, it's how big Christ is. Now, as your faith grows, you'll be blessed more and more, but you're connected. You're connected to him, and that's what matters. Verse 5, and who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Now, maybe you don't understand what this is talking about. Very simply, he's saying, Jesus came and at the beginning of his ministry was evidence to be God's son, God the son, by the spirit coming upon him at his baptism in the water, right? And the voice of God saying, giving a witness, saying what? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay, and so this is my son. I'm well pleased in him. This is what God said at Jesus' baptism. Now he's saying, at his death in his blood, he also testified that he is the savior of the world. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. So this is the one who came by water and blood. The beginning and ending of his ministry, he was inaugurated in the, with the water at his baptism, and uh, the New Testament, the New Covenant, was initiated by his blood. Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Verse 7, and it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. The Holy Spirit bears witness to these. He takes the truth of who Jesus is and applies that to us. Verse 8, for there are three that bear witness, the spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. In a court, you know, you receive the witness of, you know, you, you listen to two or three witnesses, and you make your decision based on the testimony of those witnesses. If we receive the witness of, of people, he's saying, the witness of God is even greater, right? No problem. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has not believed the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is found where? In his Son. He, read with me, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And so the Scripture is saying very clearly that God's witness through the Holy Spirit's work through Jesus at his, at his baptism, where God said, this is my beloved son, you listen to him. Through Jesus' resurrection, through his sacrifice, God is testifying to us, saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. I'm just going to say this again, because the more we hear it, even though it's repetition, even though I share with you things, maybe they sound repetitive, you know, that's really one of the ways we learn and when a friend says something, this, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your mind and you'll have something to share. But when people say, well, I think that's too narrow of you to believe, you say, yes, Jesus being the only way is a narrow way. And we do believe that Jesus is the only way, but Jesus says he will save anyone who comes to him. So Christianity is very exclusive. Can you remember that? Say exclusive, exclusive. And you say, oh, you know, I don't know, I don't know. No, it is. Jesus says, I'm the only way to God. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The only way is Jesus. It's very exclusive, but Jesus is very inclusive, to use a PC term. Jesus is very inclusive in that he says, whoever will come to me, I'll never cast away. If you'll come to me, Jesus says, I will receive you. 
and I will forgive you all of your sins. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you a brand new life. I'll take away the guilt that's been weighing you down. I'll fill the emptiness and loneliness in your heart with my presence and peace. Now that is a phenomenal thing. And people aren't going to be able to argue with you. You'll be able to say, no, Christianity, we, yes, we are exclusive. Because nobody else ever predicted their own death, burial, and resurrection. Nobody on earth ever rose from the dead. Nobody else changed history and has changed lives for over 2,000 years besides Jesus Christ. And it's, yeah, it is exclusive, but it's for the whole world. And there are believers all over the world trusting in Christ. So we just have to be kind of very, very comfortable in our own armor, brothers and sisters, and don't cave in to the idea that, well, maybe there is another way. Maybe that does sound a little bit like you're, you're narrow-minded. Well, if the only way out is, is the fire escape, use it. And don't say, well, there are other doors. They won't lead out, right? I mean, exit that's the only way out. And if there was only one exit and something happened, we need to get out of here. And you, people would say, well, you don't have to. That's not the only way. I would say, well, you're right. There are other ways, but that's the only way out. And that's the only way out of this world is Jesus Christ. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. Now that has just become part of me. You know, I, it is now part of my being, this verse. I don't doubt my salvation. I don't worry about my salvation. I can read 1 John, which is kind of a, hey, a, a test for a believer to take and say, well, do you want to know what the basic requirements for being a Christian are? You want to know how a Christian looks? So you can tell, am I really a believer? Okay, 1 John, we've read it. These things I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. And once you've read it and once you've realized, yeah, the seed of eternal life really has taken root and is growing in my life, you don't have to worry anymore. Relax and grow on with the Lord. And it isn't the attitude, let me quickly add, it isn't the attitude that, well, now I'm saved, it doesn't matter how I live, because nobody who's really saved thinks like that. And I keep having to say things like that because there are people who think that. Anybody who's really saved wants to live for the Lord. And you hate it when you sin. You're not sinning to get better. And let me see if I can do that better. And let me see. Better. Faster and faster. faster, faster. You're not trying to get better at it. You're trying to get rid of it. Amen? That's the way it is. Now, speaking of confidence, he says, we've got the confidence of salvation. We are saved. We know we're saved. And then we can have some confidence coming before God. Verse 14. And this is a confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, he kind of talked about that already uh, in chapter 3, verse 19, when he said, we shall know by this that we are of the truth, chapter 3, 19, and shall assure our heart before him, in whatever our heart, now I'm in 320, in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Confidence for what? Confidence to ask God for things. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, keep on asking for, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, we're not... We're not living like disobedient kids. Disobedient kids don't have the confidence to come boldly and ask mom or dad for something when they know they're doing things that are displeasing in mom and dad's sight. Because mom and dad are going to say, like I said a while back, forget it, kiddo. You go back and do what I told you to do first, right? Don't come out of here. Is your room clean? Uh, no, but I was wondering if I could go over to my friend's house anyway. What are you going to say? Let me tell you what you should say. You don't even have to read Dr. Spock, okay? Dr. Spock, where did that come from? My mom raised me on him. Star Trek, I guess. You're going to say, you go back and you clean your room like I told you to, and then we'll talk about you going out over to your friend's house or something. You see, it's just basic obedience. That's just learning to live in the family of God. Basic obedience, learning to live and do what pleases God. So, when we know that we're saved and we're walking 
in the way that pleases the Lord. He says, man, you're going to have confidence. And you can have confidence, verse 14, First John 5, verse 14. And this is a confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that if we have the requests which we have asked from him. Now, I know people who have used verse 15 apart from verse 14, and you cannot just pull 15 out and say, you know, like write it down on a card and say, this is the promise that, that we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. You just can't, it's not, it's, it's like taking a phrase out of a, a letter or an email that somebody emails you and, and take it out of context. That according to his will is in the text. Yes, so, well, that's a lack of faith. It's not a lack of faith. It's Christian living. I wished I'd get everything I asked for. But there is this condition thing to prayer. Prayer isn't my little lamp that I rub, and if I rub it just right in faith, God comes out and says, No, what do you want, my son? I will grant you three wishes today. That's not, that's not the Christian faith. You, you got the wrong religion. I don't know what you're looking for, but it's not Christianity. Christianity says there is this thing about the will of God. Now, does that, should that knock down, should that shoot out of the air our faith, our confidence in God? No way. You're his child. Come and ask. You can ask for things that people who aren't children of God couldn't ask. They couldn't even get in the door. God's going to let you come right in and onto his lap, right onto daddy's lap, and you can say, Daddy. I really would like an ice cream cone right now. Now, it may be, depend on timing in the will of our Father in heaven. He says, well, dinner is in about an hour. He may think, oh, I'm going to do that this evening for you. Already had an ice cream Sunday. We're going to have a root beer float, whatever, tonight. You see, it's not that will of God isn't always negative. I mean, sometimes the will of God is preventative. God keeps you from getting into a situation that's really bad. We laugh when we go to our high school reunions and we see that guy, that gal that, oh, we prayed, oh God, please, please let me marry them. Oh Lord, please, that's the one. Oh, oh, oh. And now we look at him as, and we're thinking, oh, whoa. Thank you, God, for not answering my prayer. Thank you. Thank you for your will, Lord. Thank you. Oh, you know, and, and there's been many other things like that that happen in our lives, and we look back and we say, oh, praise God for his will. <sighs> right? So it's, don't look at the will of God in a negative sense. Look at it in a good sense as something that is uh, always going to be something that God will do the best for us. As far as it being a lack of faith, to be in the will of God. Let me just say, what would take more faith to be in the will of God and maybe you're going through a financial difficulty for three years, to be in the will of God and you're staying faithfully with the Lord and you're going through chemotherapy treatment, you're staying in the will of God and you're going through a very difficult separation or divorce, your partner has left you, and yet you aren't going to run off and disobey God. You're not going to go and, and walk back to the world side of things because your life is falling. You're going to hang in there with the Lord. What takes more, that or just thinking that you'd get whatever you want? Well, I think it takes more faith to hang in there with the Lord with rough times. So, don't tell me it's a lack of faith in somebody's life because they're going through a difficult time in their life. They probably have more faith than you've ever thought of having in your entire life, walking through the rough times with Jesus.
There's a fire that burns inside A fire that burns inside Nothing can stop us We'll be running through the night With a fire that burns inside A fire that burns inside We are the free, the freedom generation Singing of mercy You are the one who set us all in motion can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs. Hello listeners, this is Rhonda Walker with The Voice of the Martyrs. What is happiness? The dictionary defines happiness as a state of well-being and contentment, pleasurable or satisfying experience. If such is the meaning of happiness, do you feel that you are happy yourself? Do you feel satisfaction, contentment, and joy in your life? If you feel happiness, where does your happiness come from? What makes you happy? Is it your secure job, your business, 
your sufficient financial savings? Perhaps it is your children's success. If there is a man who is 40 years old, hasn't married, isn't rich, and is living under constant threats of death, would you say that he might be a happy person? If you were placed in such a situation, would you think you were very happy? But the man I want to introduce to you today is a person who says he is happy even under these very circumstances. Why is this? What makes him think that he is a happy person? That's right. His answer is only because of Jesus Christ. Today, I introduce you to another person for whom the world was not worthy, our Pakistani brother in Christ, Shabazz Bhatti. Shabazz Bhatti was not someone from a long time ago, but a person who lived in the same times as us. He was born in 1968. He was the only Christian cabinet member of the Pakistani government. Let's hear his story. I was born in Lahore, in the province of Punjab on September 9, 1968. Thankfully, I was born in a Christian family, which is very rare in Pakistan, an Islamic Republic. My father took me to church since I was little. When I was in elementary school, on one Good Friday night, the fact that Jesus Christ died for me on the cross as the Lamb of God came to me vividly. And on that day I met Jesus personally, and my life after that was not like my life before. I decided to give my life to Christ. Through God's guidance and blessings, I became the chairman of the All-Pakistan Minorities Alliance in 2002. In 2008, I became a minister for the minorities, and in 2011, for the first time in the history of Pakistan, I became the Federal Minister for Minorities Affairs as a Christian. All of this was by God's grace for the Christians who were suffering in Pakistan. The Islamic Republic of Pakistan has blasphemy laws. This law prohibits people from mocking or slandering the Islamic faith and their religious symbols. But more so than protecting Islam, this law is being abused as a way to persecute non-Muslims. The people who exploit this law claim that it is blasphemous to Allah when somebody does not believe Allah as the only God and instead believes in Christ as God. And even now, there are many Christians who are being persecuted and dying due to this law. A little while ago, my Christian sister, Asya Bibi, was sentenced to death for violating this blasphemy law. I believe that this law should be abolished. That is why I started protesting against this blasphemy law in Pakistan. For this very reason, I am being threatened with death by Islamic extremists. And now, I am their number one assassination target. People often ask me, why haven't I married yet? The reason why I'm not marrying anyone is because of these terror and death threats. I don't know when I would die. Doesn't Apostle Paul also say in 1 Corinthians 7.26 that it is good for a man to stay single because of the present crisis? But I am not afraid to die because I believe in Jesus Christ who gave his own life for us. A few days ago, I received a call from a Taliban representative. He told me that I would be killed if I amend the blasphemy laws or talk about this issue. But it is God who led me to this position and this is the answer of many Pakistani Christians' prayers. This is a time for us to display our faith in the gospel through our actions. This is a time for us to prove that we are indeed followers of Christ. I will live for Jesus, and for Jesus I will die. If I could sacrifice my life for the Lord in the future, I would be a very happy man. Shabazz Bhatti, the Federal Minister for Minority Affairs of Pakistan, visited his parents' house on March 2, 2011, and on his way out of his car, he was murdered, shot by an unidentified armed assassin. 
At the site of his murder, there were scattered pamphlets that warned those who were fighting against the blasphemy laws signed Taliban al-Qaeda. After Badi's death, Insulula Esan, a Taliban spokesman, warned through CNN that Bati's murder is a message to everyone who opposes the blasphemy laws of Pakistan. They took Shabazz Bati's life away like that. However, they could not take the eternal life away and the Lord of that eternal life, Jesus Christ. Shabazz Bati testified that he was a happy man even if he remained unmarried, living alone, surrounded by constant danger, He was still a happy man if he could live in the Islamic Republic alone as a Christian and sacrifice his life for Christ. Let's think again about the meaning of happiness. Feeling content, or the state of being content because one feels satisfaction and joy in life, the person who has Jesus Christ in their lives is always content, satisfied, and joyous. They will think of giving their lives to the life-giving one as an honorable thing, a joy for themselves. In Acts 20.24, we read, However I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The world is not worthy of the person who has Jesus as Christ. This was the voice of the martyrs.
own mangers that we aren't able to let go of? Meaning, are we headed down the wrong direction in disobedience, possess things in our lives that we love more than God, or are we trying to take control of our own situations instead of letting God control? But even at this very moment, God is asking us to let go. He is tugging at our manger that we have gripped so tight. God will flip over our manger as the farmer does to his cows. He wants for us to escape from the place we are stuck in now. When God flips over our manger, it will hurt, but we will surely realize that everything was meant from God's love. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. 
May those who fear you see me and be glad, because I wait for your word. These are the very scriptures of Psalms chapter 119, verses 67 through 74. As the author of Psalms has confessed, I hope that all of our listeners will be able to praise God every day of our lives. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. I'll serve if this life I lose.